social media and stuff later but right now we got to get into what was a heck of a game two the Lakers walk off on an Anthony Davis buzzer beater three to knock off the Denver Nuggets 105 103 despite a heroic effort of Nikola Jokic at the very end of the game this one still ends up as an L the Lakers are up now 2-0 in the series and have a lot of the momentum before we break down the X's and O's of the game that was one heck of a shot, Carson. What does it mean? Not just for this series, but for Anthony Davis. I think it's huge. I think it's truly monumental, and it's the biggest moment in his career to this point. This is a guy who, despite all the individual accolades, the all-world talent that he displayed for years and years in New Orleans, never had the infrastructure to really contend. And this is a guy whose talent I have believed in big time. I did a thing back in April when I said the top 25 guys I would want if I was trying to win a title— Assuming the entire NBA is healthy, I had 84th behind only LeBron, Katie, and Kawhi. I had him above Giannis. That's the kind of talent that I've believed in with this guy. And we're seeing right now why the Lakers are, to me, the overwhelming favorites to win the title at this point, why I've had faith in them throughout most of this season, above even a team like the Clippers, which has so much more talent up and down their roster. It's the unstoppable factor. And I don't think that's ever been a question with LeBron. He has demonstrated time and time again that he will carry his team as needed. But seeing it from AD, 37-10 and 10 in Game 1, when he was definitively the best player to me on both ends of the floor, was incredible defensively, quick rotations, contesting shots, just altering shots with his length. He was unbelievable, and then also took over offensively. And tonight, it was just a majestic display of skill from this 6'10 guy who... The play from at the end of the game is is a difficult contested three. He's consistently creating off the dribble, taking these post fades. It's unbelievable skill from him. And, you know, I have a tendency with big men when I look at their physical ability to say, just get downhill, just dominate that way. But this is for several series now. And honestly, for this entire season where we have seen that what makes him so special is the versatility and the fact that he doesn't have to go to that again and again. So... It's not just a huge moment for him legacy-wise. It's a huge moment in demonstrating why this Lakers team is so special. Because, yes, their role players were really good today. They were good last game. They were good against Houston. But this is this team is not nearly the kind of championship favorite that they are if AD is a guy who plays like Paul George. He's incredibly talented, but it sometimes doesn't show up. AD has been an unbelievable co-star alongside LeBron. And through two games, has been the best player in this series. And it's really hard not to win a title when you have the two best players still alive in the postseason. Yeah, I, I think AD's definitely cemented himself. He is the best number two in the league. Uh, and he might be the number one. That's how good he is with, with him and LeBron. I mean, he's somebody that we've seen it for a long time in New Orleans. He can put up huge stats. He performed well in the playoffs. And he talked about it in his postgame interview. He's been waiting for this moment. Like, these moments are where you are a Paul George or an Anthony Davis. And no disrespect to Paul George. He's still going to go down as a really good player and one of the standout guys in NBA history just like in this era. We'll know about Paul George, what he's done. He was top three MVP last year. 
But when you get to the Western Conference Finals and the game is on the line, that's where that clear-cut superstar-to-star takes place. And what we're seeing right now is Anthony Davis solidifying what we basically already knew. Because to be honest, he wasn't keeping it a secret. This is something that's been going on for a while, is his performance. And now he's just doing it on a large stage when it actually matters. And it's awesome. And you look at his counterpart, LeBron James, had a great start to this game. Didn't have a great end of the game. And the last play was drawn up for him. Anthony Davis said, nah, I was looking at Rondo the whole time. I want to take that shot. We win and we lose with me making and taking that shot. If I'm the Lakers, I love hearing that. Because I'm thinking long-term, if this is the franchise that Anthony Davis wants to represent, he's still really young. He's got a long way to go, and he could be around on this franchise forever, and he could be the next great Laker. Like, LeBron is on his way there, but he's not going to have that tenure that a lot of other great Lakers have. Anthony Davis could be one of those guys that goes down as... uh, not a lifetime Laker because he spent so much time with the Pelicans, but somebody who's remembered for a bulk of their time with LA. So we talked AD, obviously an incredible shot. He's been an incredible player. Let's jump over to Denver real quick before we talk about more role players. Let's talk about their stars, Jamal Murray and Gary Harris. Jamal Murray, good game, 25 points on the night, a plus 16 in a two-point game, so you can't complain about that. 8-19 for the field, not bad, where he did shoot poorly from 3 to a 9, but 6 rebounds to go along with 4 assists, 2 steals, and that clutch block that eventually led to AD's buzzer beater so he played really well and then Nikola Jokic had a pretty rough start it seems like he's still having trouble adjusting to the size of the Lakers and the defensive schemes that they're throwing at him but that end stretch I mean talk about just truly special that was something where you watch it happen in real time and if they end up winning this game we're talking about that as one of the greatest postseason clutch performances ever instead of just Anthony Davis's fadeaway three-pointer. So this easily could have been a historic night for Nikola Jokic because even when things weren't going for him, he showed that in the clutch, he could step up and be that best player that nearly delivers you to the promised land as long as there's not some incredible buzzer beater shot afterwards. Yeah, Jokic's takeover ability at this point is pretty ridiculous. Scored 11 straight, and that was one of my favorite parts about this game is it was a duel of two skilled big men closing obviously almost every time in the NBA it comes down to your perimeter shot makers late as far as who's closing out these games and it was these two unicorn big men who are in a class of their own as far as talent at the position goes in this league right now and Jokic is really right there with AD to me AD's the better player because he's also maybe the best defensive player in the world at least top five and Jokic is for the most part a liability there but that was unbelievable And Jokic had to take over because Murray really had it going for some stretches of this game, but late he was really getting pestered. He looked a little bit flustered. It was unbelievable defensive pressure from Caruso, KCP, Danny Green when he was on him, this combination of Lakers guards who just made life really hard on Jamal Murray. And for a guy who has been so tremendously confident throughout these entire playoffs, who has been so comfortable, it was really impressive to see that from them because he, he looked a little bit scared to put the ball near them, like they were going to just take it from him. And I think that that's why we saw some really rough possessions from him down the stretch. So then it got to the point where, okay, he just took that brutal step back three that got tipped and didn't even get really all that close to the rim, but except, of course, Jokic tipped it in. Now let's just go to Jokic and let's use our 280-pound bruiser who can hit a hook over anybody to finish off this game. You're right. What I hope really does not happen, because I don't think the Nuggets are going to win this series, I really hope that this does not get lost in Jokic's legacy, and I don't think it will. I think that he will be back, 
But what he has done in these playoffs is absolutely incredible. What he did in last season's playoffs, absolutely incredible. This is a man who steps up to the biggest moment again and again and again and is deservedly, in my opinion, it needs to be mentioned among the top eight players in the league and the kind of guy who can be the best player on a championship team because as awesome as Jamal Murray has been, they turned to Jokic late when things weren't working for Murray and Jokic, who of course his signature abilities is passing, took over as a scorer. So that was pretty incredible to see. And there weren't many other guys that you could trust out there on the floor for the Nuggets. You know, Mike Malone ended up playing P.J. Dozier because I guess he wasn't liking what he was seeing from Harris and he didn't want to put MPJ out there defensively. So he went with such an unproven talent who I think he just likes more than most because he's played P.J. Dozier in big spots in some earlier playoff series um, this season. So it's really just this incredible cast of characters and the one guy who you can rely on every time is Jokic and that's special because he doesn't have a LeBron to lean back on. Yes, Murray is great. Murray isn't going to be there every single time. Jokic has to be there every single time whereas LeBron has his AD, AD has his LeBron and it's unfortunate for for Jokic's sake that they didn't end up with, with the W tonight because obviously how we remember everything is so influenced by just single factors and outcomes like AD making a shot that Jokic has nothing to do with and in fact contested really well. Yeah, I, I don't think that this is going to get lost in Jokic's legacy. Um, I think that the multiple 3-1 comebacks on its own, they made history this postseason run. So then they'll look at, okay, so what happened after that? They go in the series and they'll be able to see this game two performance. And again, hopefully he keeps it up for the entire series. Uh, it, it would make it just so much more fun. And you talked about not getting production from other guys. Gary Harris, three points, one assist from the field. Paul Millsap, six points, two assists from the field. Jeremy Grant, seven points, three of four from the field. And then you have your Plumlee coming off the bench with two points, Torrey Craig with three points, Monte Morris, who was solid as always with nine, and P.J. Dozier with three. Even though Dozier played a lot of minutes, he played 14 minutes this game, and he did have a pretty good impact, he wasn't there on the stat sheet like it might have seemed since he got so much playing time. The only other player that really contributed offensively this game was Michael Porter Jr. And that's not what you can do. to. It's a two-point game, man. It's a two-point game against the Los Angeles Lakers. It took a fadeaway buzzer-beating three to beat you. If I'm Michael Malone, I'm looking at my team right now, and I'm not looking at Jokic. I'm not looking at Murray. I'm not even looking at, at Michael Porter Jr. I'm looking at Gary Harris. Gary Harris should score more than three points in a game like this. I'm looking at Paul Millsap. He should score more than six points in a game like this. You have either of those either of those guys contribute a little bit more. And again, we're talking about a different game. And where that difference is made up is the role players. Because you look at LA, their role players played extremely well. Danny Green, 11 points. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, 11 points. JaVale McGee, only three points. But he played 12 minutes in an energetic 12 minutes. And when he wasn't on the court, it was Dwight Howard. who Dwight Howard only had three points, but he was all over this game defensively he was putting his mark in on Jokic he was making him uncomfortable and then do I even need to mention Alex Caruso an amazing dunk had just a kind of a stretch there in the second half where it was Alex Caruso uh, in the first half I think in the first half it was just Alex Caruso taking over for a little bit Rondo played well like these are guys that if you look at the non-stars you take out Davis and James and Murray and Jokic it is just obvious that the Lakers are deeper and they have more consistent reliable options like you said they're a more talented team than the Nuggets, but so were the Clippers. But this Lakers team has an identity. It's funny because they actually might have a little bit more chaos than the Clippers. I think both teams have had a little bit of a, of, of a rough patch when it comes to chemistry. But this team, they know the rules. They're out there, and they're ready to play. And 
it's showing. It's showing how different they are from the Clippers because they're bending but not breaking to this Denver team when the Clippers just broke. I think that you're being a little overly critical of the Nuggets role players because, yes, none of them stepped up to the big moment, but also that's not any of their jobs. They make open shots when someone finds them out of the pick and roll because we know what they're going to late every single time. P.J. Dozier had the ball in his hands a weird amount of the time. Like, there were times when it looked like Murray wanted P.J. Dozier to have it, and that was pretty strange to see. But I think that it's more testament to a Lakers team that we looked at as sort of a ragtag squad that has consistently overperformed these guys who are giving effort on both ends. And I would give credit to the Nuggets role players because they were great defensively. And they have been great defensively now ever since Game 5 against Utah. This is a Nuggets team that has taken it up to another level on that end. And that's why they're still alive. And that's why they almost won this game despite what was not a great shooting night. Despite four P.J. Dozier missed free throws in the fourth quarter, which really hurt them. Despite not the most efficient efficient shooting night for Murray and three pretty quiet scoring quarters from Jokic, they were still in it because they fought so hard on defense, held the Lakers to 45 second half points, 12 steals, forced 23 turnovers. Part of that is Lakers carelessness. Part of that is also incredible effort from the Nuggets. So I just think it's tough to ask more of these guys than we generally expect because at the end of the day, this team goes with Murray and Jokic cooking. If those guys aren't cooking... The answer isn't really Paul Millsap, Jeremy Grant, Gary Harris take over. It's more just that they're going to lose because they're going to go down with that ship. Those are far and away their two most talented and skilled players. I'm not saying that it's on a Paul Millsap, Jeremy Grant, Gary Harris takeover. I'm looking at a two-point game where you played so well defensively. If you look at one for six from Gary Harris, yeah, he's a role player, but he should do better than one for six. You know, he should have more than three points. And... Paul Millsap, you know, six points. Again, you're talking a couple buckets. He was two of six from the field. Like, I get it. It's it's Murray and, and Jamal first. It, it, sorry, it's Murray and Jokic first. But at the same time, like, those guys gave you pretty good games on both of them. I mean, Jokic, like like we said, closing the stretch. Jamal Murray had a pretty good game otherwise from that besides from three-point land. Like, if you're losing by two points in a playoff series, I think it's fair to look at these role players and look at some bad shooting performances and realize that if either of those guys had maybe played a little bit more to the level that we can expect them to play at, I'm not asking them to drop 20. I'm not asking them to drop 30. I'm asking Gary Harris to drop eight instead of three. That could be a game changer here. So I think it's okay to look at these players and realize that, yes, it's it's Jokic and Murray first, but you didn't have bad games from either of those guys. And you had a good total defensive effort. So where did you lose this game? It was your role players offensively. Like, you still have to take some blame with that. So... Sure, everybody could get better. I'm sure Jokic could be better when figuring out a game at the beginning. I'm sure Jamal could be better from three. Like, but I know that Millsap, I know Harris, I know Jeremy Grant, and I know these players, they can get better, especially off of Jokic. Maybe part of that is because Jokic wasn't able to get in that much of a passing rhythm, especially early in this game. I don't know. But he still ended up with nine assists. Uh, so that's that's why I look at that those role players, because that's where I really do feel like a difference was made, at least in this game, was the difference in the role players for each team. Well, you're right as far as making open shots, and that is in the modern NBA what swings so many results. This Lakers team, which was a poor three-point shooting team for the entire season, basically is shooting 40% from deep in this series, and a majority of those attempts are coming from the role players who are making big shots. They shot 36% tonight, not exceptional, but they made 13 threes to Denver's eight. Denver, you would think, is the better shooting team on paper, especially when you consider the kind of looks that are created for them by Jokic in particular, so... 
you're right. At the end of the day, these guys have really simple jobs, play hard on one end, make shots on the other, make open shots on the other for the most part, and they didn't fulfill the second part of that task. And obviously, it's the little things that come back to bite you. Like I mentioned, it's the four missed free throws from P.J. Dozier. It's losing the battle on the offensive glass where you let the Lakers get 13 offensive rebounds. Even the last possession, the Lakers had three shots at it, and that's what killed them. I mean, if they just secure that first rebound, then this game is over and the Nuggets are walking out of there with a win. So it's every, in a game like this, there are so many little things that you can point to and making open shots from the supporting cast is certainly part of that. Yeah, and I'm not somebody who likes to nitpick and say, oh, if this one shot went in, this entire game would be different. But I think that you can just look at the production overall and realize that there is a a difference in that. So looking ahead at this series, Denver finds itself down 0-2, one blowout game which we talked about was probably because of the refs for part of it. Maybe they still would have lost, but it wouldn't have been a blowout. And then this heartbreaker uh, losing at a buzzer. Where do they go from here? What, what do they do in the next game? Because they had a plan that wasn't working for a majority of this game. Again, this would not have happened. Like you said, they were one rebound away from them winning. Well, they're also one godlike Nikola Jokic run away from not even being in this at the end of the game. So it took a miraculous streak of one player really carrying them those last couple minutes to even get to the spot where we're talking about them losing in heartbreaking fashion. You're Mike Malone, you're Nicole Jokic, you're Jamal Murray, the three heads of this offense and of this team. What are you doing going into game three? Are you changing your approach? Are you playing different players a different amount? Is it just, hey, Jokic, you found your confidence and just roll with that? What are you doing? I think you're basically sticking with what you did in this game because, yes, they were down for a lot of it and they had to fight and scrap to get back into it, but they're going up against an unstoppable tandem. That is inevitable. AD had 31, LeBron had 26. You can expect that kind of production basically every night. I think that game one is sort of a throwaway, as you mentioned. The Lakers deserve the win, but those early fouls from Jokic not only completely changed whether or not he could even be in the game, but changed the dynamics of how aggressive he was willing to be on both ends when he was on the floor. So I think that this was really the first clean look that we got at this series. And it was a really tough game because this is a really tough Denver team that has two offensive stars who currently cannot really be suppressed or stopped on any given night. Jokic obviously just has the kind of ability where it's up to him to miss shots because he's a brilliant passer and he has this unbelievable touch. And Murray has evolved to the point where he's kind of right along there with him. So going forward, I think you stick with what's gotten you here. You continue to hammer that pick and roll. I think that it's interesting to see if they can try to exploit the Howard McGee minutes a little bit more because Frank Vogel has been way more aggressive playing those guys than I expected. And in game one, it, it was definitely effective. I think that part of that was that we saw a general timidness from the Nuggets defense and just a lack of effort to where Dwight was getting pretty easy runs at the runs at the rim. People were just throwing lobs to him and the Nuggets weren't really all there mentally. Last night, Dwight or tonight, Dwight basically had no impact offensively. And I think that going forward, we'll see if he's a detriment defensively. But I think that maybe what we'll see is a little bit more Jokic out of the post because he showed on that last possession that as great as AD is defensively, he can literally move anyone. He is just an unstoppable force down there because of sheer body mass and how great he is at using his weight. So I think that maybe we see more Jokic out of the post. Maybe we just see Jokic try to assert himself more as a scorer throughout the entire game because obviously that's not his first instinct, but he does it when they need him to. And 
we may be at the point where you can't trust anyone else with the result of these games. And you just have to put it in Jokic's hands. And obviously, he will continue to distribute. He's not going to suddenly become a selfish, just only eyes on the bucket player. But if he needs to go out there and get 35, maybe that's what we see. And Jamal has to have that same mindset of just trying to take over because it's not going to rest on the role players. Yes, maybe the role players make a couple shots that swing the result, but it's on Murray and Jokic to get them in position to even be there when they are the less talented team going up against a better duo that has outplayed them through two games. It's a tough ask, but again, they, I mean, they they did the impossible last series, and they did, I wouldn't say the impossible because it wasn't as good of a team, but they still have made a major comeback in the first round as well, so there's no reason to count them out. Like we said, th this is a game of inches. If so many different things just ended up happening, we could be talking about a completely different score, a completely different outcome, and a tied series. So, moving on from that, before we jump into the Eastern Conference uh, Finals, Let's talk a little bit about All-NBA. Obviously, two Lakers guys, Anthony Davis and LeBron James, on that first team. The first teammate sense who to make a first-team All-NBA in the same season? Well, I'm pretty sure Steph and, Steph and KD did it. Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire. Wow. Yeah, it's been that long since we've had teammates grace the NBA First team together to round it out with the Lakers. It's James Harden, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Luka Doncic. Second team, Kawhi Leonard, Nikola Jokic, Damian Lillard, CP3, and Pascal Siakam. And then rounding out the third team, Jason Tatum, Jimmy Butler, Rudy Gobert, Ben Simmons, and Russell Westbrook. Now, looking at all these names, I don't really have that big of a problem. Uh, I really don't think anybody got snubbed because in the current system where you have to have a center... I don't think anybody really got snubbed. But my biggest issue, and I think the biggest issue with the all-NBA teams in general, and it's been a discussion for the last couple of years, is why on earth do we even have positions anymore? If you look at the first team, the first team all-NBA center does not play a majority of his minutes at center. That, to me, completely invalidates it. You're basically making the first team positionless. So why do we have to have a Rudy Gobert? Because I wouldn't have a Rudy Gobert in this. I would put a guy like Bradley Beal over him, who did average 30 and 6 this year, and did that. Like I I would have him over that. But since you have to put a center in there, Rudy Gobert has that spot. I guess you could, order, or you could argue, is it Embiid or is it Gobert? But at that point, I don't really care anymore. Like, that that to me is something that doesn't anger me. The only thing that really angers me is the positions. Like, do you see any reason for the NBA to keep positions in this? Or do you feel like it's a no-brainer decision to jump on over to positionless? I think it's a no-brainer. And that's not just because basketball is generally relatively positionless. Like, I'm pretty sure that they have LeBron listed as a front court guy. LeBron was essentially a point guard this year, so... They just willingly manipulate it to whoever they want to get on these teams. AD is a guy who was adamant about wanting to play the four. And we have seen that carry over even to a playoff series where matchup-wise, I don't think it makes sense for him to play alongside a center. Not that it's been disastrous through two games, but he's still playing the four. So to just then say he's a center because we want him to be a center is ridiculous. You also look at the fact that this is skewing who actually makes the team. Chris Middleton had more votes than both Russell Westbrook and Ben Simmons and he's not on the team because, because he's not considered a guard because he's not a guard. But that shouldn't be a factor. It should just be the best 15 guys, in my opinion. And it's stupid that in some situations, people will just manipulate who they consider what position. 
they shouldn't have to do that in the first place. It should just be the best five guys on each team. And I feel very strongly about that. It's not even that there are any particular decisions that I am all that upset with. I agree. Beal 100% deserves to be All-NBA above Rudy Gobert. I also think that he deserves to be All-NBA over a couple of the guards and maybe a couple of the forwards who made these teams. But it's more just the principle of why is this even a thing? Why are we putting these weird constraints on ourselves that don't apply to the modern NBA and that we don't religiously follow anyways? Who is who? Which guards is uh, are Beal over? I would have had Beal. I would have had Beal over both of the third team guards. I would have had Beal on my on my All NBA team. I would have had Lowry and Beal as my two All NBA guards, and Westbrook and Simmons would have been my next two guys off. So I don't hate those selections. I think that there's certainly an argument to be made for both of them, but. You know, uh, Beal was absolutely incredible. He was transcendent offensively this season, putting up historic numbers with great efficiency, doing it on and off the ball, contributing to an offense that was actually pretty good. Yes, the Wizards were miserable, but he was the epicenter of this entire system that was play fast, shoot a bunch of threes, and none of that works without him. So when you look at the burden of carrying a team, carrying a unit, putting up ridiculous numbers consistently and efficiently, uh, Beal is... He, he's the epitome of that. He was incredible this season. So I just didn't necessarily agree with that decision. But again, to me, the biggest thing is it's a stupid antiquated system and it's time to get rid of it. And if this season isn't a demonstration of that, just because of the blatant manipulation of who's what position, then I don't know when there's ever going to be a change. Yeah. I feel like this is like, it's, it's this year or it's not going to happen. Because it's not just us talking about it. This is something that has been brought up for the last couple of years, and especially this year, it has been brought up as well. Uh, and like you said, it's it could be a legacy definer for some of these guys. I mean, All-NBA is something that we do look at over the span of somebody's career. We talk about Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul now both have nine All-NBA selections, and that's some of the most for guards ever in NBA history. Like, we use this as a way to determine who is better than who, especially in all-time rankings. You look at these, maybe somebody who doesn't have one or two All-NBA teams, but if somebody has four, five, or six, like, that's something that you look at like, oh man, they had a sustained run of dominance. And for somebody like Chris Middleton to miss out on this year maybe this this, maybe this year specifically doesn't matter but if he gets left out because of the position for multiple years and he makes it when they take the positions out like that's something that could be between four and six all NBA teams and you're going to look at that player differently when you're going back and looking at all the numbers you're going to look at that differently so I think it is important to make sure that we represent the NBA with these awards and what the NBA right now is it is positionless and Honestly, this award should just reflect the 15 best players. It, it plain and simple. Uh, but a couple players who were on the All NBA team are playing in the Eastern Conference Finals as well. It started off 2-0 for Miami, but Boston dominant in their Game Three win, 117 to 106 against the Miami Heat. Yes, Miami gave them a couple close ones, a couple heart attacks throughout the game. Maybe had them second guessing their lead, but nonetheless, the Celtics hold on. Their fourth quarter ro- woes are no more. At least for this game, looks like that. Little altercation in the locker room did bring them all together. Outstanding performances from guys like Jalen Brown, who led uh, the Celtics in scoring 
with 26. Marcus Smart also had 20. Jason Tatum had 25. Kemba Walker had 21. I mean, if you just look at those four guys, as long as as well as getting good minutes out of Gordon Hayward, he played 31 minutes, only six points, five rebounds, four assists on the night, but they were 31 minutes of good positive, effective basketball. So an all-around great team win from the Celtics. This is the team that you and I expected to see coming into the series. Obviously more talented than the Heat, still trying really hard, but everybody was just playing really well. And you can see how dangerous it is when this machine is working at its height and on, on, on all levels. You get a double-digit victory over the Heat, who have been an absolute menace to beat. And this is only their second loss this entire postseason. I think it's interesting because... You talk about how it was a dominant performance, but they only won by 11, and it got down to 6 within the last minute. The Celtics finally showed throughout most of this game the all-around talent that they have. All four of their best guys showed up and had 20-plus, I'm pretty sure, between Tatum, Smart, Kemba, and uh, Jalen Brown. They had better decision-making against the zone. They played really good team defense. On the flip side, the Heat had a really rough shooting night, just 27% from three. Drogic did not have a big showing for his first time in a while. And this game still got too close at the end. So I think that we're seeing just an incredible tendency for this Celtics team to collapse, which is why I have no faith in them, as talented as they are, if they were to go up against the Lakers in the finals. It's not just because they don't have either of the best two players in the series. It's because mentally I don't think that they can hang. They should be up 3-0 on the Heat right now. They should. They were up double digits in the second half of each of these games. They were blowing them out of the water in Game 3, and it still got kind of close at the end. So, we saw some really great adjustments. We saw their best guys play really well. We saw them play smart, composed basketball, whereas in Game 2, they were thrown into chaos by that zone. They were not hitting open shots. They were misfiring on passes. It was just an all-around poor performance and an actual collapse. And in Game 3, they obviously didn't get to that level. They came out of there with a win, a deserved win. But it would just be incredible to me if the Heat got out of this series by just stepping up in the bigger moments and sort of watching the Celtics crumble every single time because even when that should have been a 20-plus point win to me and it got down to single digits in the last minute. So it's just this incredible difference in mentality and in toughness and in, in experience, it seems, because... The Celtics outclassed them, and they still weren't able to get out of there feeling like, whew, that was easy. Look, man, I think that you kind of have to come to terms. There will be no easy wins over the Miami Heat. I don't care what team you are. I don't think that there is such thing as an easy win against this team, especially in the playoffs. It's just the pattern that we've seen. They've either won every game, or they've lost in a game where they at least made it interesting. So... I will not go into any game expecting the Celtics to win by 20. I don't care how talented you are. I would go into the Lakers series, and I would still expect the Lakers to win. I think that without a doubt, if you look at the four teams playing right now, the Lakers are the best team and are the favorites to win the championship. But if they were to play the Heat, I don't think they would blow them out every game. I don't go into any Miami Heat game thinking they're going to get blown out. Even when they're down 15 or 20. It's the same thing with the Denver Nuggets last series. Once they've shown us that there's this pattern, like that's not something that changes game to game. You don't have that it factor one game and then lose it the next time. You have it all the time. And that's what they're showing. 
And they know that as long as they're on the court and there's time left, they feel like they can win the game. And that's such an important feeling to have. Behind a great coach, I don't think you're going to see Miami lose by 20 points. In fact, I think 11 points is probably the largest margin of victory you'll see the Celtics win by this series, even if they pull it out. And yes, some of that comes with inexperience for the Celtics. Absolutely it does. But at the same time, I think you have to keep giving the Heat credit here. Like, yes, you could focus on the Celtics being young and they were still able to perform in this and pull this game away. But why are the Celtics collapsing? Why are all these games getting so close? It's not just happening naturally. The Heat are doing things to cause this to happen. It is what they do and it is how they win basketball games. And it's going to happen every single game, if not a majority of it, as we've seen throughout these playoffs. So, Carson, I hate to break it to you, man. If you're getting your hopes up to have a 20-point Celtics win sometime soon, I don't think that's going to happen. Even if on paper, talent-wise, it should be, things that we've seen in this bubble playoffs is that you can't just bet on talent. And then, of course, young talent in that, well, as great as Tatum and Brown have been, they're still super young guys, and this is their first time, not in the conference finals, but it's their first time kind of being expected to win. You're not going up against, you know, big brother LeBron anymore. You know, you guys are the talented ones. You guys have the focus now. And I don't think that Miami cares, and that's why all these games are close. And I think they'll continue to be close. Obviously, Miami deserves credit. I would never try to take that away. But I think that what we see time and time again is that some teams have the instinct to put their their foot on your throat when you are down and crush you. And the Lakers are one of those teams. Even though... Actually, we saw an impressive Nuggets comeback tonight. Generally, the tandem of AD and LeBron are just unstoppable. They play feisty defense, and those two are going to get downhill. They're going to score however they need to, and they're going to take you out of that game. And the Celtics, to me, have demonstrated too much complacency and too much discomfort offensively to where we see these guys get tentative or we see them devolve into just bad offense, and that's not excusable to me. Yes, the Heat deserve credit for winning games one and two and for making game three interesting, but the Celtics shouldn't be leaving the door open. And I I don't want to make it seem like I'm the anti-Heat guy again and again because I acknowledge that there may have never been a team that I have underestimated as much as this Heat team. As much as I was anti-Bucks and I was like, they're not going to make the finals, they're certainly not going to win a title, I didn't think that the Heat were equipped to do it. I didn't think that the Heat were equipped to really truly challenge the Celtics in this series, even if some of the games were close and even if they were scrappy. I thought the Celtics would get out of there uh, relatively comfortably, all things said and done, and that has not been the case. So I acknowledge that the Heat are incredible. Bam is playing out of his mind right now. 22-11-5-2-2 in this series. He is dominant. Tyler Hero is really special for a rookie. Uh, Obviously, his skill set's impressive, but what we've seen is not only his his incredible confidence and just dog mentality, but the guy's averaging 15, 6, and 4 in the playoffs. We've seen him evolve as a playmaker. He just gives incredible effort defensively, even though he's a negative wingspan guy. So there is a special identity about this team. Drogic stepping up, Crowder stepping up, Iggy stepping up. That is commendable, and that is special, and that is something that I did not anticipate to this degree. However... The Celtics have a responsibility as the more talented team with a brilliant coach, with the guy who should be the best player in this series, with the guys who should be the two best shot makers in this series, to take over sometimes and to put their foot on the Heat's throat. And they haven't done that. Time and time again, they failed to do that. Yeah, I, I get I think again, I think it lays on both sides. I think I think there's something that comes with both sides. There's something about this the youth of the Celtics team 
that comes into play and about the experience of this Miami team. But, I mean, it's hard to say experience because, like you said, Bam Adebayo, last night he had 27 points, 16 rebounds, 3 steals, 2 blocks. Tyler Hero was their second leading scorer behind Bam Adebayo with 22 points. Like, Jimmy Butler scored 17. Drogic was a minus 29 on the night. Like, these are their veterans and their big guys. And, you know, if you have a negative 20 night, 29 night from Goran Drogic, who's been your best offensive player this entire playoffs, and you only lose by 11, that's a pretty good look from them. And it's like, I, I think you have underestimated the Heat team. I think I underestimated this Heat team. They were somebody to where I looked at it, and I didn't know why everybody was selecting them to be their dark horse. But seeing it now, they just look like the most complete team. Just top to bottom, they look the most complete. And that can be something that really comes into play when you play super talented teams like Boston, who rely on their top five so much. I'll, I'll pose a question to you, and then you can put your final thoughts in, in into this as well. But... Like you said, the the young guys, the Celtics, have kind of melted down, especially for those first two games. We see Gordon Hayward kind of rush back and get inserted into this game. The entire time, he feels like a calming presence. Do you feel like their ability to keep Miami at bay? Because they led pretty much the entire time. Miami kept it close, and there were times where they got closer, but they never overtook that lead. 31 minutes from Gordon Hayward, is that the reasoning behind it, or did everybody collectively step up? I think we saw an improved collective effort, and I think that we saw, again, more composure. They were so rattled by that zone in Game 2, probably inexcusably so. Yes, it's an incredibly tough defense to, to compete against just because you have such tremendous effort and personnel from the Heat. They're basically going to force you into a spot where you can't go one-on-one, -on -one, you can't easily expose mismatches. If you are going to do so, it's going to have to be from the baseline, and then there's going to be Bam out of bio there for help. So it's a great team defense, and I understand that. Hayward does help in picking it apart a bit because he plays so calm, so under control at all times. He, he to me, is one of the most self-assured players out there in that he just plays at his own pace, knows what he's doing at all times, great passer, kind of guy who can pick them apart, can can make those shots from the mid-range mid -range area that help beat a team like this. But at the same time, you know, he had six points. So I don't think that it's like he's the single factor that swung this game. I think that the Celtics just played better overall. My question to you, you said that you think that the Heat are the most complete team now. After three games, with them up 2-1 to one on the Celtics, who would you take coming out of the series now? I, I Look, I, I said Celtics at the beginning, and I still will roll with Celtics because in the end of the day, in playoffs, you bet on talent. There's a reason why guys like the Clippers or teams like the Clippers, teams like the Lakers, went for those top two guys and then kind of filled out the rest or did whatever they did with the rest, right? It's because you need to have those guys that give you the best chance at winning a championship. And there's no denying that. And I still think it gives the Celtics the best shot at winning this series. But I think we're looking at this Heat team, it almost looks like an experiment of sorts. Because you go up and down their entire roster. Like, yeah, we said the Clippers might be the deepest team. But if we're talking talent differential between the top and the bottom, the Heat might be the closest. Because they have guys that are coming off the bench in guys like Tyler Hero, who are even better than guys like Duncan Robinson, but can still play in those minutes, and then you still have Duncan Robinson. Those guys are interchangeable. Not an exact the same play style, but that you can play both of them, and they can give you that really valuable asset of three-point shooting, or even with Tyler Hero, the X-Factors he brings with rebounding and things of that nature. The only player in this heat rotation, there's two that I look at that I don't have confidence in minutes, and that's Kelly Olynyk and Kendrick Nunn, right? Those are the only two players that I look at. Everybody else really fits into this puzzle and it just works. And again, I don't think they're the most talented, 
but I do think that they just play the most as a team. And I do think that Gordon Hayward's a pretty big bar part in beating this Heat team, especially when they break out that zone. You said he's a good passer. I think he's a great passer. I think he's the perfect guy that you can put in the middle of the floor and will make a great decision reading because he's taller than Kemba Walker. In the zone, Gordon Hayward should be your primary passer because he's not as crowded as Kemba Walker would be and that's why we've seen Kemba struggle against these zones and he's somebody that like you said can hit that mid-range can hit kind of that fadeaway to to make it kind of weird if he's getting that space in the zone but then he can also make those pocket passes and he can do a lot on that end and with his vision as well so I think that does make a pretty big difference because now whenever Brad Stevens sees sees the heat throughout his zone he knows that he could put somebody out there that he could trust and that can make the right decision without being frustrated or maybe put in a bad position like Kemba Walker one of the things that I think is really interesting about this Celtics team and I know that you like to compare the Tatum Brown tandem to the the young Thunder of old and sort of look at the differences and the similarities between those two teams one thing that really stands out to me and why I think that we should not be overly zealous in crowning the Celtics tandem is that when I look at the KD Westbrook era, yes, they're on a different level talent-wise. Clearly, Westbrook is far more talented than Jalen Brown, and KD is far more talented than Jason Tatum just because he's Kevin Durant. Those guys would not, I don't think, have trouble with this Heat team. Even though maybe they didn't quite perform up to people's expectations because they didn't get a title, they were going to beat the teams that they were supposed to beat. Even if that team had an exceptional effort and toughness and all of that, they were going to come out of there alive. And I think that if this Celtics team does get out of there, it's going to have to be because in the big moments, they're carried by a guy like Kemba Walker. Or Marcus Smart, who's had 20-plus in two of these three games, is not only playing absurd defensively, but is also knocking down big shots when they need him. Or because Hayward is that kind of guy who brings the composure and the leadership and effectively breaks down the zone when Tatum and Jalen maybe aren't capable of doing that. The Thunder didn't have an infrastructure like that. It was three young guys and Ibaka and whoever else they could throw out there, basically. They didn't have that support system, and they also didn't have a brilliant coach in Brad Stevens, incredible player development, an, an all-time organization, a brilliant GM. So things are handcrafted for this Celtics team to go out there and take the Eastern Conference, especially when you consider that they're playing the fifth-seeded Miami Heat right now. This isn't the Raptors, who they did get by, credit to them. This isn't the Bucks, who... You know, we're on a 60-win pace for the second straight season. This isn't the all-talented 76ers. It's the Miami Heat, and they're a great team, but the the path has cleared for them to do it, and again, it's not the end of the world. Jason Tatum's 22 years old. He will continue to improve, especially in these big spots, but I, if they were to come out of here without winning, I think that it would really demonstrate maybe the importance of experience and also maybe some of the flaws with the mentality of the Celtics team. I, yeah, I think that if we're seeing one thing from the series, that experience does matter. But at the same time, Jason Tatum the other night, 25 points, plus 23 on the night, the highest plus minus on the team, round that out with 14 rebounds, 8 assists. Jalen Brown, 26 points, team leader in scoring, a plus 15 on the night, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, 3 steals, and a block on the night as well. They're not the reason, like, like they are the two best players for them on the court when they are playing. And the comparisons to the Young Thunder, 
I've never really meant it talent-wise specifically. I think that you can make general comparisons because they're two teams that are loaded with young talent that are going far in playoff runs, but you can acknowledge the talent within that is different. But I also think that these two guys in Tatum and Brown are way more likely to work together in the future and in the long term than a Westbrook and a KD. What we saw in that situation is those two players at their best could not play together. These two players at their best can 100% absolutely play together no defensive weakness there's no offensive weakness to where one of them can't perform while the other one is like we saw last night they can both go off and they are in my opinion probably the young core that you'd want to build around the most two athletic incredible defensive wings that can get you points and Jason Tatum has proven that he's more than just a scorer and a defender and a rebounder the man can pass as well a assists on the night. That's a lot for a forward, especially somebody who's taking a majority of your shots like a guy, Jason Tatum, who took 20 the last night. Jalen Brown, 11 of 17 from the field, 1 of 2 from 3. Like, like these, these are guys that are incredible. And I'm not sure it's exactly on them. I think the other couple of games were on Walker. I think game 2 was a lot on Smart as well. He didn't have that amazing of a game. Uh... But that's, like, when I look at OKC, that's what I kind of see. This young team that can go far and that if you just rely on their talent alone, they can get you places, but they need to have more than that talent there. It's like OKC, and yeah, they ran into a really tough team, but you needed more than just the raw, pure talent of a Westbrook, a Harden, a Durant, and an Ibaka. And I think it's the same with the Celtics. And they, like you said, the Bucks were kind of the perfect team for the Heat to play. I feel like experience-wise, like, this is the perfect team for the Heat to play. It's young guys and veterans that have not been there before, and Kemba Walker and Gordon Hayward. So, they have guys that, even if they haven't been there before, they act like they have. And that's all that matters. It really doesn't matter if you've been there before, if you can play like you've been there before. Because there are people who have been there and who can't do it. So, that's where I see the mentality difference. That's where I see Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum kind of fitting in long-term and in this series as well. Maybe this is an unfair comparison. I just look at the performance of the Celtics young duo and I compare it to what we've seen from Jamal Murray and Nicole Jokic, where Murray has evolved completely, stepped up to the biggest moments again and again, averaging 27 a game in these playoffs. Jokic, as we we already sang his praises, the guy has been unbelievable and he's a different talent level than either of the Celtics players right now. Tatum could get to, could get there. He has the skill set, but he is not nearly as good of a player as Nicole Jokic right now. But... And maybe it's a skill set thing because Murray, you know, some people might argue that Jalen Brown is a more valuable, better all-around player, but Murray is obviously so much more gifted as a fluid shot maker, as the kind of guy who can operate out of the pick and roll and take a game over scoring. I just think the Celtics have so many more pieces around their two young stars, and yet which which team has been more impressive results-wise? I would point to the Nuggets. They have beaten, obviously, the far more talented team in the Clippers, and yes, Obviously, it was great that the Celtics beat the Raptors, but they barely got out of there in seven. And as a guy who picked the Raptors to make the finals, I think that it was pretty evident that the Celtics were talented to a point where it shouldn't come have come down to that. And who they turned to in a lot of the big spots, they went to Kemba Walker. So you make a great point about having, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter if you have actually been there before, if you can play like you've been there before. Tyler Hero... Bam Adebayo, Duncan Robinson, these are guys who play like they're like they've been there before, even though they haven't. Goran Dragic, even Jimmy Butler has never been in a playoff series with this high stakes. He's never been in a conference finals, and yet he's playing like he knows how to handle these situations. So are Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic again and again and again. And 
again, that's more about them than it is an anti-Brown and Tatum thing. And I just don't think Jalen Brown can ever get to that point where he can take over a series like that. I don't see him as that superstar Robin. I don't think he's comparable in any way to, and I know it's not a direct talent comparison, but just thinking off my head here, when I look at a young tandem like what we saw from Durant and Westbrook, even what we're seeing from Murray Jokic, the ceiling of them to me is so much higher because where does Jalen Brown develop from here? He's not that kind of natural fluid basketball player. He's not that kind of guy that has that unbelievable shot making skill set or great playmaking instincts. So I just think that they'll always need more pieces around them. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. And you're right. They do have the mentality to where they can be a cohesive tandem for a long time. And that is probably more valuable than any talent because that means you can stick together. And if you get the right pieces around them, you can win. I just don't think we're seeing that supernova performances from either of these guys. And Tatum's been really good. He's also had some shaky performances in the biggest moments and he's 22 years old. So that's fair. That's to be expected. And I don't think that we should discount what he's doing just because Bam and Mitchell and Murray and Jokic, these young guys have been unbelievable throughout these playoffs. I just, I think it's an interesting contrast at the very least. Look, I I think that Nikola Jokic is the best player. If you look at those four, the two duos for for either team, the young guys, Murray and Jokic versus Brown and Tatum, Jokic stands at number one. And I think that it's a short list of guys in the entire league that can get to maybe that spot. And Jason Tatum is on that short list because he brings defensively what Nikola Jokic can't. And that is absolute lockdown defense. And at somebody his size... In a modern small ball era, he truly can guard one through five. And that is incredibly valuable. Jalen Brown can guard one through four, and he can even guard your five. He's an incredible post defender. He probably learns that from Marcus Smart and how to use his small size for his advantage. I get that Jalen Brown is probably probably sitting at number four out of these four players. But you say, where does he go from here? I honestly think that he can improve even more to where he's been because what he's shown is that he's constantly improving his skill set. I mean, you're somebody that watched him at Cal all the time and I like correct me if I'm wrong, but when he got his contract, you didn't see him really performing to the level of his contract that was signed. And in my opinion, what he's doing right now is fulfilling that contract because yeah, it's a lot of money, but there are a lot worse ways to spend that money. I felt the same way when Jamal Murray signed his contract. It's like, yeah, that's a lot of money, but I'd rather give a lot of money to Jamal Murray than uh, freaking Nicholas Batum if I'm if I'm the Hornets, right? So it's like, that's still a good use of your money, and I think that he's he's lived up to that, and I think he can continue to get better because what we've seen is he's consistently gotten better. Has there been a moment in time where he's just regressed a lot? I, I can't think of one that comes off the top of my head. So I think it's a little bit unfair to put Brown in a box to say, hey, he's not really going to be able to grow anymore because why not? I think that he's in a great situation, and I think part of the reason why they haven't taken over the games is, like you said, they have all of these weapons around them. We talked about Denver, LA. What were the weapons that I mentioned outside of Jokic and Murray? It was Millsap. It was Jeremy Grant. It was Gary Harris. Here it's Kemba Walker. It's Gordon Hayward and it's Marcus Smart. Three players that if you were to put them on the Nuggets, they would by far and away be that number three option. And that's not Tatum and Brown's fault. I think if it did rely on them, they would be putting up more numbers when they needed to do it. I have honestly full faith and confidence in them. But you're also playing a pretty tough defensive team in the Heat who can guard wings extremely well as well. And they're still putting up huge plus minuses. Jalen's leading the team in scoring. Tatum is almost dropping a triple-double 
I, like these guys are performing really, really, really well in a large spot. Like you said, they're young. I think it's unfair to put them in a box. Uh, but I mean, that's just where I sit on them. I'm just, I've always been extremely high on Brown and he's done nothing but to confirm that for me. I put no ceiling on Tatum because he has the kind of skill set that every team in the league dreams of that kind of wing who can go out there and get you 30 and also be a high level stopper defensively. I would never take that away. The thing with Jalen is, you're right, he's improved to a level of basketball that I did not think he could get to. And I absolutely think that he's worth that contract. I think that he's a tremendously valuable player here. I do think, though, there's a ceiling on the kind of guy who doesn't have that natural wiggle or that natural touch, that natural feel for the game, that natural insane shot making like a guy like Jamal Murray has, where even though Murray has physical limitations at 6'3", and he's a defensive liability, and he's not a true point guard, he hasn't always been the best decision maker throughout his career. The ceiling is higher there because he can do things that other people in the league just look at and go, wow, I, I can only dream of doing that. I can only dream of hitting that shot or, or handling like that or having that finish at the rim with his body control and his touch and, and his finesse. There's just a higher ceiling there. Whereas Jalen Brown, to me, still plays the game a bit like a guy who had this incredible physical sort of canvas that Brad Stevens and the Celtics player development could say, okay, let's build on that and let's let's improve his handle and let's improve his shot. And they've done that, but he still doesn't have that feel for the game and he still doesn't have that kind of natural basketball ability. So I don't want to run in circles. I still think that he's a great player. I just, when I look at him as a number two on a championship team, I just think, man, that number one has to be really, really good. And we're not at that point yet. I don't think he's the number two if the Celtics are really contending for the title offensively. I think it's Kemba Walker. But I do think that we have to be aware, as exciting and as fun as the Celtics team is, that Jalen Brown, to me, is not going to be the kind of superstar guy who puts you over and wins you a championship, even as your second best guy, probably. To me, if Pascal Siakam, in all respect to Pascal Siakam, could be the second best player on your championship team, Jalen Brown could be the second best but, player on your team. But then Tatum team. has to be Kawhi. Because. But here's the thing, but they have more pieces than just Lowry down there. Like, look, all I'm saying is that I think that he could be a number two on a championship team because I think he could still grow into that. And to me, like you said, the natural wiggle, the natural feel of things, that's what separates a number one option on a championship team and everybody else. And I agree with you. Jalen Brown can never and will never be the number one option on a championship team. But that is an extremely high standard to compare him to, and the only reason we're comparing him to that is because the person that he play, plays with can do that. So I think that he de- I think he can be the number two in your championship team, especially when he grows older as well. 27, 28-year-old Jalen Brown with even more experience on how to defend is going to be an absolute nightmare. He put Pascal Siakam in literal hell last round, and he's been an incredible defender this round as well. Like, there's really not been a single offensive player that has torched him and yeah Miami's had some good performances but Drogic like we said with a negative 29 last night and again only time will tell uh and I just I I do love this the the young Celtics score of Tatum and Brown and I've always been high on Brown so I'll always die on that hill uh whatever we bring it up but it should be exciting the series did get moved there will be no games today which is most likely when this podcast is going to be posted tomorrow Celtics and Heat will go back at it Celtics looking to tie the series up 2-2. Will Jalen Brown prove that he could be a number two in situations like this, or will he let us down? Only time will tell, but 
Until next time, you can follow me on Twitter at EricRuby underscore. You can follow Carson on Twitter at Carsobi. You can watch the full ISO show on YouTube. That's posted every Friday, so there's a new episode up on there if you want to go back and check that out. Other than that, if you do one thing and one thing only, and so we see you guys next time, please, please just enjoy basketball. We've only got a little bit of it left. We'll see you guys next week. All around the world, y'all know. So, so, yeah. Uh, girl. Uh.